1: Welcome back, everyone. Thank you guys so much for joining us on whatever platform you're listening to us on, wherever in the world that you are listening to us on. I know we got listeners here in America, all the way to New Zealand, Netherlands, everywhere. It's great. And as always, thank you so much for spreading this podcast to others as we continue to grow our community. Now, today's topic is one that's really getting into some X's and O's, which I'm personally really excited about, uh, looking to really go up, Talk about the defensive end specifically. And our topic for today, we're really going to be focusing in on matchup zones. So, for those of you listening who really like getting into the X's and those and talking about defensive schemes and schematics, this is going to be right up your alley. And I think you're going to enjoy it. And I'm probably going to learn a lot from it too. So, this is going to be a really good episode to check out. So, uh, the guest that I have today is one who is very passionate uh, about matchup zones and has also used the matchup zone to great success, which we will talk about here in a little bit. I'm very happy to be joined by Coach Joseph Sagrist, who is here to talk about the matchup zone and a little bit more. Coach, how are you today?
0: Good, Coach. How are you?
1: Wonderful, wonderful. And, and like I said, I'm, I'm looking forward to learning just like my audience is. So this, this is exciting. <laughs> so, Coach, let's go ahead and get started with uh, your journey. Where, where's the game taking you? Where's coaching taking you? Just, just walk us through what that journey's been.
0: Okay. Well, I grew up in Northeast Ohio, um, played it, uh, graduated from Maslin Washington High School, which is a big football powerhouse uh, in Northeast Ohio. Um, but uh, got my first teaching and coaching job actually in Rio Rico, Arizona, um, which I know you're familiar with out, out there out in Tucson. Arizona. So, <laughs> yep. South of Tucson. And I Um, So I, you know, never been there, but um, a varsity coach who had just won a state title at Rio Rico, they have a state championship in boys basketball, um, needed an assistant coach who would eventually take over for him because he was becoming a principal. So I knew there was an opportunity to go and be his assistant and then take over a program that following year. That's kind of what he, how he got me out from Northeast Ohio to Southern Arizona. And um, it was a great fit. Uh, uh, John Fanning was his name, and he was such a <clears throat> tremendous mentor for me. Um, I learned a ton from him. You know, everything I talk about today uh, and all the success we've had at Valley High School um, is because I've I've been surrounded by phenomenal coaches that I played for and that I learned from as an assistant. So um, getting my start there in Arizona, um, I became a head boys coach uh, way too soon, my second year of teaching and coaching. Um, And I had to learn a lot on the fly. We had a a great group of kids, but um, made it to the state tournament, actually, my first year. Um, And then we're in rebuilding mode my second year. And actually, I met my wife out there uh, my first day on the job. Oh, wow. She's from central Iowa, so um, that's where I am now. She wanted to move back to uh, where her family was. And um, I, you know, so 14 years ago, I, I go to the West Des Moines district and, and Valley, and um, I started as an eighth grade coach, uh, boys coach, um, and then eventually became, you know, a, an assistant varsity boys coach on our boys staff and uh, under the direction of Jeff Horner, who played basketball at Iowa, um, and now is the head boys or men's coach at Truman State. Mm. So again, learning from tons of great coaches um, as an assistant. And then I'd never coached girls in my life prior to nine years ago. And uh, was fortunate enough to, uh, to to win that interview and, and get that job. and. Um, I think we've taken, you know, the West Des Moines Valley Tigers to a whole new level as far as the girls program. Never had a state title until 2017 and then um, won one in 2017 and then won one in 2019 as well. Awesome. And we're
1: going to get into some of the uh, ways that I know for you, the matchup zone was really important for those teams. And I'm just happy to hear you talk about being so happy making the transition from coaching to boys to girls. I know I kind of beat this over the head with some of the guests who I have who talk about how much they enjoy coaching girls basketball. And so I'm just very happy to have another guest who can kind of champion uh, coaching girls basketball and how fun and enjoyable that can be. So on a personal yeah, note, but... I'm pretty happy about that as well. So <laughs> uh, let's tie in the, the last part of what you said about the uh, success that you've had, including um, some state championship success. And I wanted to ask you what, was the importance of matchup zones in those teams being to success being successful? How much do you attribute the success of those teams to being able to to run the matchup zone well in terms of like on the court success?
0: Great question, and, and it's 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 layered. You know, I mean, sure. to win a state championship, you need phenomenal players and athletes. I mean, mm-hmm. you can't you can't do that. We've had Division One athletes, um, you know, go to Marist University out in New York, uh, Drake University here in Des Moines. Um, And then uh, also we have Zoe Young, who is our point guard on both of those teams, who's now at Maryland, who's a top five ten program in in the nation. So um, you need amazing players first and foremost. And then um, my assistant coaches work their butts off as far as analytics, study and film, and... The reason we use these matchup zones is we try to take away the other team's best players. And we, we play against Division One talent almost mm-hmm. on a nightly basis. Mm-hmm. Um, Ashley Jones is going to be a, a top pick in the WNBA. She's at Iowa State. You know, they knocked us out of the 2018 state tournament. Wow, yeah. Um, <laughs> That's serious. So, I mean, and then Caitlin Clark, I mean, she's making, she's a freshman point guard at Iowa and she's on the Naismith Midseason uh, <laughs> lists, so and they're our high school rival. So I mean, the conference is loaded with Division One talent. So we knew we had to try to take that away with our matchup zones. Um, whether it's you know strategize a double team, you know a diamond one where you front you know a post player and then take away. Uh, the, the backside with the, the bottom of the diamond. Um, or a diamond and one where you take away the guard by face guarding it with one of your quick guards, you know. Um, trying to make others beat you rather than have, you know, their Division one players go off for 30 or 40 points. Sure. So we, we use those analytics. We use um, <clears throat> film to make sure we are – taking away the other team's best players. And
1: this kind of leads into kind of kind of the next question for uh, that I want to ask you in terms of the, the philosophy behind why you're particularly so passionate about that matchup zone. I, I know that there's so many defenses that, that you could run and so many different schemes. A lot of coaches like doing more traditional zones. A lot of coaches who just want to go play, you know, straight up man-to-man and see what happens. I feel like you may have alluded to this just now in your previous answer, but why why the matchup zone for you? Why is that something that, um, like, you're like, this is what we're going to do and this is what we need to do? I know you kind of talked about um, the level of competition that you play against, but is, is that kind of what led to the philosophy of continuing to do it uh, year after year?
0: That's part of it. That's a great question. Um, that's part of it, but... The other part of it is the limited practice time. You know, we don't have sure. – you know, Girls are have developed so much with their AAU programs in the summer and spring, um, and they're playing tons of basketball. So they come more talented, but when you can start November 10th and your first game is two weeks later, you don't have I'm, – I'm a man-to-man guy <laughs> first. I mean, don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, I like to – Get up in your face, play aggressive man-to-man defense if you have those types of players. But um, <clears throat> if you if you don't, or if you, the other team is so talented in certain ways, uh, you can use part man-to-man, part zone principles, and put mesh those together with your personnel as as a high school coach, and. <clears throat> you're still teaching both sides of the game. You're still teaching fundamentals of man-to-man, but you're also taking away the blocks, you know, taking away their high percentage layup shots by, you know, putting a triangle down there. Um, so it's it's kind of a mix of, yeah, these teams are so talented. They have Division One talent. We have limited a time to put in – all of our defenses, so we kind of just have fun and, and just play all kinds of jif- different, you know, pressure defenses, mixing up, you know, different types of, of zone defenses.
1: Right, and, and you mentioned a couple of the, the things, whether are putting in the diamond in one or, or some of these other different kinks that you kind of put in it. and. I wanted. I just wanted to ask this question, just just to be upfront, because I know a couple coaches listening might might be curious about your thought process, and and they might be in the same situation where they're thinking, you know, you know, we got limited practice time, and and certain things that we might not get have enough time to get into, so. You know, we're just going to put in, you know, whatever that two free zone is, or just that more traditional zone for you. Why is it important that it's it's a matchup zone and you can't just go like, you know, the traditional like two three or you know some sort of one three one? Why does it have to for you have to have that matchup uh, component in it?
0: Yeah, another great question. Um You know, I think even a lot of these AAU programs are getting used to just seeing two three zones, the normal. You know, they're just. They're used to attacking that, um, you know, a lot of teams play either a man-to-man or a, a two-three zone is, is what teams practice against the most and, and become most comfortable. So um, a lot of our <clears throat> defensive philosophy is keep the offense that's so talented off balance. Um, <clears throat> throw different zones at them, you know, out of a timeout. We'll go from a diamond and one to a triangle and two. And if you can keep the other team off balance and shut down their best players, you've got a shot to throw them off and then get out in transition, which we love to get out in transition and play fast. Mm. So um, I think that's keeping the other team on their toes, keeping their coaching staff, you know, wondering what type of of are they guarding. You know, this girl, are they guarding two girls? Are they, you know, um, <clears throat> what are they doing with the zone and the rest? So it's kind of a chess match, you know, sure. and, uh, and we've just had a lot of success with it. So um, <laughs> if it ain't broke, don't fix it, right? <laughs> sure. And and
1: and I want to kind of walk through sort of the way that you you teach it and implement it. But before I get into that, I, I'm, I'm curious When your players, your younger players, like your freshmen, maybe who are just new to your program, what level of, I guess basketball IQ might be the best word, but what level of basketball knowledge do they have where they can just pick up, you know, getting into a matchup zone versus you having to do a a lot of the teaching and and walking through? I'm I'm trying to put myself in one of your players' shoes, trying to to see what knowledge level they kind of come in with.
0: Yeah, it it varies for sure. Um, We're starting three freshmen right now who are, Mm -hmm. you know, have Division I talent themselves. And um, so they come in very, very skilled, very knowledgeable on both the offensive and defensive side. Um, We played man-to-man the other night, just went straight man-to-man because we saw weakness in guards. And you know, we did we haven't worked on it a lot because our schedule is so tough, but we saw something in our guards, just being able to turn them and pressure them. And, and we still work on that stuff fundamentally and practice, you know, on a daily basis. So they just took it and ran with it. They're like, Oh, the coach, this is fun too, you know? So there's certain teams that we'll just get up and play man to man against. And, um, I've had really good players. I mean, don't get me wrong; we don't win st- two state titles without really, really good players. So they know how to play it all. They know how to adjust. And the girls that I've coached are just so coachable. They 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 want to take everything in, you mm-hmm. know. Um, and I think they embrace learning something new, you know. Um, where we're meshing a zone that they might have used in the past, you know, whether it be a 2-3 or a 1-3-1, we use that on occasion too, a Um, 1-3-1. So, you know, meshing the two man-to-man with zones works out pretty well for us.
1: So to, to add to that question, and again, I, I, I love that you sort of, not sort of, you do uh, give credit to, to the skill and the talent, the hard work that, that the players do, because that is so important. You know, if your players buy in and, and they work really hard and they put a lot of effort and time into their own game, it makes coaching a lot easier, too, as well. That is for sure. So lo- love that you give them uh, credit. So if there's coaches who are listening out there who might be very comfortable with, with you know, doing their 2-3 or whatever their traditional zone is, who might be looking to uh, make that step to incorporating a matchup zone. And maybe let's just say for the sake of this exercise, they have players who are able to pick it up and are able to kind of get what's going on. What are some things that coaches would have to be mindful of when stepping from a traditional zone into a matchup zone in terms of like teaching points and how to make sure that that coach is teaching it in a way that the players are able to really get it.
0: Yeah, um, we, you got to make sure that your personnel fits whatever matchup zone you are uh, implementing. So right now, for instance, we have a senior guard, Haley Chapel who is a phenomenal defender. Um, on the ball defenders, she can look the other be, uh, team's best player in, in the eyes and not let, give them any space. You know, she held a division one point guard to 11 points in a state championship game as a sophomore. So your personnel needs to fit that system. If you're going to guard one girl or two players, you know, man to man, because you have size or um, rim protectors in that, you know, zone spot, which we had as well, then it's always based on our personnel first and foremost. And, um, and then teaching them, it's a challenge too, to teach them. My job is to look that person in the eye and, you know, my teammates, I have to trust my teammates to say when a screen is coming, you know, Mm -hmm. Uh, they have to holler at me or else coach is going to holler at them, you know? So, um, the trust factor um, is huge as far as communication on the floor. Um, and then just, again, taking away the other team's best scoring possibilities. Um, and if you do that, I, I, I just have seen that you can have a lot of success.
1: You mentioned, and we talked a couple of times here about the, the level of, of basketball IQ that you're your girls have and I know a, a lot of coaches including myself we always preach the importance of communication and always feel that there's not enough communication going on but I know that that in a matchup zone for that to work there has to be talking there has to be communication you talked about screens a, a little bit earlier is that something that you've had to be very like intentional about like during practice or when you're you know refining the matchup zone is there skills that your girls already come in with that you're just kind of fine-tuning in terms of their communication? Can you walk us through just the communicating on defense aspect of it?
0: Yeah. um, So, I mean, if if you're not communicating on the basketball floor, I don't care what defense you're playing, (laughs) you're not going to be successful. So, man-to-man, you know, requires the most communication. I mean, I would say you've got to call out all these screens. And there there are teams in our conference that are so well coached that they will screen you to death and re-screen you and, you know, roll and pick and pop. And so, you know, we actually lost our first state title game. We've been to three of them because the team was just so seasoned. And, and all we did with that team was play man-to-man. So I kind of learned my lesson that, you know, if you're not just – screaming out that screens are coming, then you know, you're going to struggle to face those top teams that set so many screens. So this allows you, these matchup zones allow you to have people in the middle that will communicate and limits the amount of screens that the offense can set. And when you do that against good man-to-man teams, um, their offense doesn't seem to click as well. And, um, so again, we still drill to our kids that this is how you uh, defend someone when you're face guarding them. This is how you still play man-to-man defense. We still work on it. It's just not a, a huge part of our practice time. You know, this year, we've got to work a lot more on offense with our, our young kids, you know, making sure there's continuity on our offensive side. So, Mm -hmm. um, it doesn't take, it still requires tons of teaching, but it's not as much drill work as, you know, scouting another team's man-to-man offense.
1: Sure. And, and with that, are there like certain points of emphasis when it comes to communication? And we just talked about calling out screens, but in, in terms of what you see, um, in terms of the teams that you play against or just to run your defense correctly? Are there any other areas of that absolutely need to be like communicated or everything kind of falls apart? I know it might seem kind of like a right there, obvious question, but I want to get it all out in the open. I want to yeah. be openly with my communication as well.
0: So, yeah, we start we start with our analytics and telling mm-hmm. our kids that, you know, shots in our girls' game uh, come from driving layups, post-up layups, or kick out threes, okay? So we have to take those away, whether it's, you know, with a triangle in two or a one-three-one or diamond in one, we've got to limit the other team's high percentage shots, you know, on the blocks. So we're going to take away those block shots um, and force them to be really tough, you know, shoot over us. Um, and then, Uh, as far as, you know, manning up their top player, we're going to run them ragged. Uh, We just played a division one talent a couple weeks ago and gave them their only loss. They're eight and one. Um, And their coach is a legendary coach. He's won 650 plus games and seven state titles. And we knew we had to take her away and they were running her off screens on the baseline and, and by the third and fourth quarter, I think we wore her out. Um, and she hit a couple shots in the first half that our girl was chasing her, and from 26 feet, you know, and just she's a Division one mm-hmm. shooter. I mean, that that good. And but by the second half, our zone really took its toll because we were we were racing that that player all over the place. So. Sure make those players, you know, shoot tougher shots, give them something that they haven't, don't see on a nightly basis, you know, their comfort is going to lead to them scoring. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we held a high 20 scorer to, I think it was 15 points and 13 of them were in the, in the first half. So two points in the second half. So I think, that's what proves to us that these matchup zones do work. They might not work, you know, right away in the first half, but if we can wear out that team, uh, we've seen it really take over in the second half.
1: And I think that kind of speaks to the idea of, you know, sticking with it and sticking to it, especially if it is something when you're trying to run somebody ragged, like you might not run them ragged the first half, but right. stick with it's it. It's not used to, no, not expect, used to yeah. stick with it all the time. Yeah. No, yeah, absolutely not. And I know other coaches have talked about, you know, trying to guard the best players and just throwing different bodies at them and just, you know, being right. relentless to, to wear them out as best you can, especially if they're a shooter, if you can get their legs tired or just right. get them exhausted. Yeah, at, no, at 100% makes sense. Now, you also mentioned about drives and about the, that's obviously another way that uh, players are going to score, um, driving into the middle and obviously a matchup zone, any sort of zone that you run, the middle is always the uh, the part that a lot of coaches are most mindful mindful of. So in what are you doing as, as a coach with your matchup zone to be cautious when you're playing against those teams that, are, are drivers and they're looking to go middle and and really trying to get to the rack?
0: Yeah, another great question. So um, in our man-to-man principles, we always try to force sideline baseline, you know, try to keep it out of the middle because middle drives will, you know, you've all got to converge and help in there and then, so
1: kick out you know, <laughs> the
0: overhelp and someone's wide open on the block. So Sorry. we want to force all of that action, even in our zones away from the middle, okay? and into that help. So we typically, you know, whether it's a diamond and one, we've got that top girl forced into one side, preferably the weak side, usually the left side, um, you know, because a lot of teams are very right-hand dominant. So we'll have her sit on that that right shoulder and force left and then close off that, you know, left-hand drive. And if you do that, again, that takes away some comfort Of the other team in starting their offensive progression, you know whatever that is, and I think that, you know, leads me to another point that these are hard to scheme against. And if if um, Mm -hmm. teams are spending their time, you know, they know that we're playing Valley. They they'll throw, you know, all these different zones at you. If they're spending their practice time working on that, Mm -hmm. I think we have an advantage there, you know, because. They're not used to facing that. You know, most teams practice against man-to-man or a 2-3 zone, you know? And, and really
1: quickly to that point, just to emphasize that, and because and a couple of coaches have mentioned that, and I think you'll agree, is that if other teams are spending all that time kind of planning for what you're doing, that's also time they're not spending on what they do and working on that, which I think is a right. double advantage as well.
0: Right. <laughs> exactly. And I, I just think it keeps them on their toes. They're sure. not used to maybe teaching, you know, how to play against a matchup zone. Uh, so um, it might make their practices, you know, disrupt them a little bit or, or throw them off. And, it, and if they don't work on it, then, you know, they're going to struggle when they see it because, um, you know, some coaches might not, <laughs> might not like us for, you know, oh, Sigur's going to throw these junk zones at us. But um, we're still teaching the game you know it's not like you know you know we want to win state championships and we're going to do everything we can to do that and if if i see a team has an edge we're going to try to take away that ed- edge well and and you
1: also you know, we're talking about matchup zones. If that if that's what you're running, I mean, there's so many man-to-man principles that still need to take place in that. Right. That is still defense. You know, it might look a little different. There might be different. I've used the word schematics a couple of times. The way the design of it and the layout, but it's still it's still defense. It's still being man-to-man and, and running those principles. And you you mentioned that um in your ideal world you'd be a man-to-man, and and that's kind of the way that you you like to. Uh, have your defense, and obviously a matchup zone has uh, man-to-man principles in it. Are there points of emphasis for you specifically on um, man-to-man defense when it's one-on-one guarding uh, an offensive player? I know a lot of it is dependent on what the skill set of that player is, but are there some real points of emphasis that you want to hammer into your girls to make sure that they're playing uh, their man or girl uh, the right way?
0: Yeah. Yeah, we always, again, want to force sideline baseline. Yep. You know, if if we're playing man and we're doing shell, we're forcing sideline baseline, Um, (laughs) keeping the ball out of the middle. Uh, We put a huge emphasis on help side. So if the ball is not on your side, you need to be two feet in the paint. Um, And even we talk about straddling the rim on, you know, looking at the rim on the other end and and being that far over and help and then trusting your closeouts. We still work a ton on uh, two-handed closeouts you'll see that our girls in our zones are going to close out with two hands. It's not just a one little hand or running at you. It's, we work every day on two hand closeouts. So that's no different, um, in teaching when we talk about man to man, because we emphasize the help so much that we need to race out and break down with two high hands on a closeout. So, mm-hmm. um, Ball side pressure on the line, up the line. Um, those are all principles that we that we work on when we work on man to man.
1: And how how important is. Just in general, how important is, is footwork and, and how important is, especially if like closeouts and, you know, whether it's, you know, the ball swings and you got to be able to quickly adjust to go from one one side to the other. Do you have anything that you specifically pay attention to when it comes to like footwork on the defensive end? Is, or do your girls kind of just have a hang of it and kind of know what they they need to do? What's, what's that
0: process sort of like? Yeah, it was a rough, you know, a lot of times we'll do ladders and things to work on our, you know, lateral quickness in the preseason. Our preseason was really shut down this year, and I know you guys are suffering with that too, that it's just 2020 was just such a unique year. We didn't start practice uh, with a very young team until December 22nd. So we've still only had about 14 practices to date, Mm -hmm. and we've had seven games. So the practicing and all that preseason-type footwork has been the biggest challenge for us uh, with a young team. Um, but yes, footwork is huge. You know whether you're talking about um, slides, side to side. Um, you know we do that one-on-one turns. Talking about getting low, exploding with the hips, all that kind of stuff uh, that we like to take advantage of. You know in a preseason type conditioning program and and utilize our our awesome weight room at Valley High School. We have a, a tremendous weight room. Um, and girls in the last couple of years can get in that uh, weight training class that they work on some of that speed mm-hmm. and agility. So, all very important things that, you know, to be a really good athlete and to be a very good defender, whether it's man or zone, you need to be quick on your feet and, and play low to win the game. So,
1: and it kind of leads into that that follow up question you talked about. You know, not having the preseason time, and there's been certain you know gaps that have have probably formed because you haven't been able to shore those up during the preseason. So, when it comes to footwork specifically on on the defensive end, what are some things that you've noticed even in this current season that you've seen from your players where you're where you notice it on the court? Where in your mind, you're thinking, oh, if I had a preseason with them, I know that they would not be doing this right now. What what sort of gaps have you kind of noticed that coaches might want to notice themselves if they want to kind of shore up the footwork of their players?
0: Yeah, our first few games, we, we fouled a lot, you know, just being a step late to either, you know, a passing lane or we're chasing too much or, mm-hmm. or reaching from behind. So those practice reps really... Um, can eliminate fouls, bad fouls um, that I think we've had a few against the good teams and we play number one tomorrow night. So um, (laughs) it's not going to get any easier, but we're going to have to to work on getting into better positions, whether it's in man or it's in our zones, beat the girl to a spot. You know, we talk about that a lot. And I, I think in the first couple of weeks, we're, a lot more reactionary you know rather than anticipatory you know um we want to be good anticipators and that comes with more practice time that comes with reps you know that that we just have not had so we're seeing some of those cheap fouls uh because of being a little more reactionary mm. and, I, and i think that that's something just
1: good to be mindful of for, for coaches in general is if they see that on their team, whether it's, you know, like cheap fouls or, you know, just a poor closeouts or, you know, ineffective closeouts. So that stuff might, might just be footwork stuff. It might be a case where the players kind of know what they're supposed to do and could mentally articulate it to you, but just their their footwork or their foot speed or whatever, their agility, just their lateral quickness might not be there. And those the might be reps. things that you need to. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. Like you said, you need the rest. working reps. on it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I've seen strides with our kids. I mean, we start three freshmen, like I said, and then our our sophomore class is is a lot of our depth uh, on our bench, and we had a, a great practice tonight. I'm seeing strides each and every night with with how hard we go. Um, just because we play matchup zones doesn't mean we <laughs> don't go hard in in practice. And and if our you know JB team makes a shot, we're sprinting to the other end and trying to get a layup. So um, you know. We don't just work on this defensive stuff. We work on transition a ton. And
1: thank you very much for segueing to, to a question I was going to ask you about that because I think that that is a misconception or something that coaches kind of have a little bit of apprehension about when they hear the word zone. When they, uh, I know that the, the word zone can have a connotation where it's very like reactionary and you're kind of setting up your your wall and, you know, letting the other team kind of do like what they want to do and your, your zone kind of holds up against it. But you just brought up the point about how you, you want to get after it and you want to be aggressive and, and you really want to take it to the other team. So can you kind of dispel maybe some of the uh, misconceptions that might exist about a matchup zone with it, you know, just kind of being eh, kind of being there and, and how it can be a really aggressive and kind of taken control of the game type defense?
0: Yeah, I think I alluded to it a little bit earlier, but, mm-hmm. you know, zone just kind of for, for the old school coaches has kind of a, a negative um, kind of tone to it. Um, you know, some, you know, if, if I wasn't taught, you know, and I we didn't play tons of zone when I was in school either, but mm-hmm. if I wasn't taught it, then, you know, man-to-man is the only way to go for some coaches and, you um, but that's not true. I mean, I think all of if you're here to truly win games and win championships, which, you know, it's not the only side of coaching, but, you know, I I love to win. And um, so if, if you can take away, again, those best high percentage shots and those best players, then your zone is effective. Mm-hmm. And if your zone is effective, it allows you to do a lot of really fun things transition-wise and on the offensive end. So our defense still is the foundation that leads to our offense. And we're, we are one of the most defensively efficient teams in our conference, and it's the best conference in Iowa. I mean, it's the the biggest school division, and, and we've got five of the top 10 teams in the state in our six-team conference. So, um, again, if we just, you know, relied on straight man-to-man every night, uh, teams are too good. They're too good of players that, that will expose whatever weakness you might have. So we use it as an advantage for us and then get out and run the other way.
1: Yeah, I, I think that that kind of goes with uh, any sort of, whether it's a defense or or even in, in some cases, depending on an offense that you run, that if you only rely on on one certain thing, it's going to become easier to scout and become easier to plan for. And then if there's no counter to it, or if there's nothing else for you to switch to, then might be in trouble. <laughs> so uh, that's kind of, I think, kind of the beauty sort of it in, in, in a matchup zone. And you talked about it, I can let you explain a little further if you want, is that, there's a lot of small tinkering that you can do with the way that it looks. And then to another team, it could look like something completely different when all you've really done is just make like one or two little adjustments. Is that right? I feel like you kind of alluded to that, but I wanted you to speak on that
0: yourself. Well, I I mean, you would know just like any good coach. I mean, if you're not making adjustments as a coach, (laughs) you know, unless you're the best team, with the best athletes at each and every year, you better be making adjustments as a coach based on Mm -hmm. your personnel, the other team's personnel. Um, You're gonna have to make adjustments in game, you know. Um, We make adjustments in game all the time. And I think our ability to change these zones in practice and keep our girls on their toes in practice makes them better equipped for making those changes during a game.
1: So then, l- let, me, let me, before I forget to ask you that, what does that look like in practice when you're kind of making those transitions from one uh, may- maybe zone look to another? How, how does the practice kind of run to get them ready for it when, it's, when it comes like game speed?
0: Right. We typically don't change uh, a defense without a stop in action, or mm-hmm. we can do it during a free throw free throws, timeouts. Um, So we work on that in practice, you know, whether it's a a free throw, we're gonna switch up our zone right here, okay? Everybody watching me and, you know, everybody's talking about where their spots are. So Mm -hmm. communication is at its height, you know? And um, so, and then if a team calls a timeout, that's when I like to switch up, you know, our zones or throw a possession of man-to-man at them. because usually if another team's calling a timeout, they're calling a timeout to strategize against something that they've seen to try to gain their edge, you know, their adjustments. So we're going to counter that with our adjustments. And uh, by practicing that each and every day, um, uh, our players are, are ready to make those adjustments more on the fly. I th- and it
1: almost seems obvious, but I know sometimes I personally can forget to do this when I'm coaching, is that just to make that transition in a game so much easier for your players, just run it in practice and do it in practice to where it's not a big deal for them because they're used to doing it so many times. I know for me, personally, right. I, I've had this before where I maybe I don't see something that I like in a particular defense that that we're running, and I end up spending like way too much time on that particular thing, trying to refine one or two details when that time probably could have been used to just transition into something else and just sort of get into the flow of switching in and out to different defenses. But I think all coaches maybe go through that where they end up, you know, going, spending too much time on one particular thing. And next thing you know, way too much of their practice has gone by.
0: That's a, that's a good point, coach. Um, Our practices are charted out um, in five, 10, 15, no more than 20 minute segments. And Mm. We put it on the clock, we stick to that, you know? Yeah. I rarely put an extra minute. Or There's times where I put an extra minute on the clock if I, I know we need to work on something specifically. Mm-hmm. But um, we we know we need to move on. We need to move to and, – and practice is a huge part of your success, you know, how prepared we are as coaches um, to work on all the aspects of the game. You know, if I – if I spend more than 20 to 25 minutes on these matchup zones, I'm not spending enough time on our sure. offensive side or our out-of-bounds plays. So, yeah, it, you can fall into that trap where you're just working on one thing and you're not developing the whole player and the whole team.
1: Yeah, and and I think that it's really important for for coaches either to, to chart those out or, um, i know you know coaches who've you know used like the the shot clock or used the game clock in their gym and sort of you know mm-hmm. set the timer and then just you know they got it they got to let it go and i think there's right. something to be said for at a certain point there's only so far you're going to get on a particular drill or running something that spending more time on it actually is detrimental and you need to uh, just do something else and maybe you can go back to it later but come back to it yeah, yeah. that's a good
0: idea right
1: but just you might just want to let it let it go and if only for the fact that have them do something that like they're already doing well or can be successful at and just let them be successful at something. And then maybe you can bring them back to something that's a little bit more challenging, but it's kind of different philosophies for sure. Um, So you brought this up earlier that um, other teams know, like uh, we're playing Valley. So I know we're playing up against this this matchup zone that this coach is going to throw against us. So since you've been running it so many years, what do other teams do to try and, break through and see success against you. What, what would a coach who may be starting to implement the matchup zone, what might they notice the other team try and do to try and bust it up?
0: Well, they're going to try to take um, advantage of the spots in the zone that are vacated, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of times that might be the corner. So we're forcing them into corner threes, you know. And so a coach's adjustment might be, okay, guys, gonna get a lot of corner threes against Valley, we're gonna work on, you know, getting the passes there, ball fakes and getting a lot of corner threes and then those reps with shooting them. Um, So I think, you know, as far as either penetrating the zone and those gaps or finding the the spots where we might allow more shots to be made, um, that would be how I would attack it and then I I always try to unbalance, you know, if there's a one-guard front, I like to have two guards up top, you know, on offense. Or two-guard front, I like Mm -hmm. a one-guard and and the normal two wings. And um, we do pretty basic things that allow us to unbalance another team's zone. So those are the things that I would work on, you know, (laughs) against us. Mm -hmm. I try not to give away all our secrets. (laughs) (laughs) And, no, and, I'm, and I'm happy yeah. to happy to help all coaches <laughs> if, they, if they want to use this.
1: And and just to maybe go back, uh, when maybe you were you were first putting in in the matchup zone, or when you when you first were, you know, kind of working through and ironing out uh, some of the things with it. Were did you have some things in games where, like your your mind was blown, or like something like, oh, like this is what they were going to try and do, and I never thought that a team was going to do this, or I didn't know that this my team potentially had this weakness. We got to make sure that we shore this up. What were some sort of the learning curves or the bumps that you kind of had along the way as you were trying to smooth out uh, your matchup zone?
0: Yeah, there were, there are teams that are a lot more successful against it. And then that makes us switch, switch our type up, you know, Mm -hmm. more often. Um, And that's what we challenged our, you know, with number one coming into town tomorrow to Mm -hmm. Valley. Um, We know they're going to challenge it, you know, as as good as anybody. so we put our girls in that situation in practice the last two nights. Um, say, hey, they're they're going to do a really good job of of spacing out their players so that they can attack it with a Division One post going to the uni- University of Iowa. I mean, mm-hmm. so um, they know we know they're going to challenge us. We know, and that's why we worked on five different defenses tonight. <laughs> so. Um, yeah, I just—we've got to be willing and ready to make adjustments to to where they're getting their shots from, um, but we think we have a counter to wherever that might be, um, and uh, that's why we work on the different types of of zones. And this is uh, this is more
1: of a philosophical question. This is this is one that's really hard to I think I think sometimes. Gauge as a coach, and maybe sort of like a heat of the moment type thing. But when when you're when you're coaching, we talked about in in game adjustments um, specifically with, on on the defensive end, since so that's that's our focus. How do you as a coach determine if you need to stick the course with a particular defense that you're running versus okay, like this isn't working, um, we got to switch something up. How do you kind of determine? Whether it's, oh, they just got that shot shot up or, you know, I think this is still the right play to keep this particular defense versus like, okay, like this isn't, this isn't going to work the way we need it to. We got to switch into something else.
0: Yeah, it's, it's their comfort level. It's the ease of or the difficulty of how they're getting those shots. If they're getting great ball movement, kicking it opposite and getting wide open looks and knocking them down, we know that's not the right defense at that time, you know, but if they're contested shots, if we're running that division one girl ragged by face gardener and, and we're doing a great job on the others and she still makes a shot, she made two of them, 26 feet. Hey, tip your cap to them and say, we're doing okay. You know, it's going to take over. And that's when it did in the second half. She didn't didn't have the legs that she had in the first half. So, Mm -hmm. um, it's the ease at which they're getting their shots off or hopefully the difficulty at which they're getting their shots off.
1: And I definitely know that some of that, for sure, you can just sort of eyeball that and be able to to assess that. Um, but also, I'm not sure, so I wanna ask specifically the level of, of scouting that you do and how much preparation of, of film that you do by looking at other teams. I also know that that could be a situation where, if you see that the team you're playing is able to do the same things against you that you saw that they were successful with on film then that's obviously another indicator that things might need to be switched up but let me ask you specifically about your your scouting and your preparation how, how much time do you how much time goes into preparing for the opponent that you're going to play um, I guess it's a really good question considering the game that you have coming up soon
0: <laughs> yeah and it. Like I said, we go from a Tuesday game to a Friday game. So luckily we had, you know, two days to prepare for this opponent. Um, whereas we, we turn around and play Saturday morning uh, or not Saturday morning, but Saturday at three after. So we play number one and number eight this week and we're number 12 right now. So, um, you know, it's, it's going to be a really tough weekend for us. So coaches and my assistant coaches are awesome too. I, I, I need to give them credit where they deserve it um, because they help me a ton with scouting. Um, my assistant, Coach Wiederbrand, is is phenomenal. My other assistant uh, is um, a legendary coach with about 700 wins and two state titles himself. So, um, as far as all that's concerned, and then I have former player, coach, and former. So they work their tails off too. Um, to get scouting reports, uh, find out where these teams are making their shots Mm -hmm. because our our film system, I don't know if you're familiar with Huddle, Yep, but we use use Huddle and and send it off to assist and it'll tell us where all these, you know, teams are making their shots. And um, so we dive into that. You know, sometimes we have a day, sometimes we have two days, sometimes we have, 12 hours, prepare, and then we just have to communicate with our kids, hey, this is where they're getting their shots from. We're going to take this away today, all right? You need to force them left. Uh, They get 90% of their shots on the right-hand side. So we're really going to emphasize taking away and matching up on this right side. Mm -hmm. Uh, So use the analytics a ton, use our scouting a ton, and my assistant coaches do a phenomenal job helping me with that. And I, I think it's, can't,
1: can't give uh, quality assistant coaches enough credit, that is for sure, yeah. uh, to have one second that, that can do that sort of thing and, and help you get prepared and everything, like, phew, uh, not enough good words can be said about uh, coaches who, who can help you in that way. And when it comes to to all of that information, I, I know I've, I've had a couple episodes even dedicated to this, but just to kind of touch on that, how much of that information that you learned from the scouting report, how much of that needs to be communicated with your players versus just sort of balancing the fact that you trust them, that their defensive principles are good enough, that they don't have to worry a ton about what the other team is doing. How do you kind of balance, you know, just giving your players the right amount of information without making them feel that they got to like reinvent the wheel on defense?
0: Yeah, we knew we couldn't focus on, you know, number eight, which presents different, you know, problems to us on Saturday we needed to focus solely on Johnston tonight but um you can sneak some other things in with drills you know say hey we need to work on this for for all opponents and um so we did that tonight with some things that we would see on Saturday and then we'll bring the kids in um about an hour earlier since there's no time and we'll we'll have some film broken down of the team on saturday so it's going to be a lot more of the the mental and cerebral type of study for that saturday game with no practice time mm-hmm. per se to, to work on that opponent so sure it just it varies with each opponent and how much time you have to prepare
1: yeah and I, and and i think that As coaches, uh, I've said this a couple of times, we have to be the ones who who have all of this information and know all of this information. But part of our job is to be smart enough and be a good enough communicator that we can take all that information and just get that film, get the most important bits of film or communicate like the most important parts to our players. They can just focus on playing. At least that's for me personally, but uh, that's how I I, kind of go.
0: 100%.
1: Uh, last little part uh, philosophically, talking about um, running just a matchup zone or really any zone. Um, biggest big concern a lot of coaches always have is, is rebounding, um, and it can get crazy, especially uh, in in zones. And I know communication is a huge part part of that. So, what's rebounding look like? What have you done to try and and, and still have an effective rebounding team that can get out in transition?
0: Yeah, we work on you know Tom Izzo's philosophy of hit find get. I mean. Uh, you need to find your defender and and go and and make contact. So shot goes up, you should be looking for a body, whether you're in man or zone, um, and not just going to the rim and getting sucked under. So you've got to work a lot on that. We work a lot on getting to a good spot, surrounding that painted area, and making contact before we go get a rebound. And um, we have times where, you know, the ball's not (laughs) coming off where we need it to. And, it's a struggle, but we've rebounded pretty well. Um, well. We wouldn't be able to run these zones if, if we weren't rebounding well and and other teams were getting two, three shots that led to points, so, but they're they're really not.
1: Were, were there things you had to teach of your players about, about those rebounding principles? They Did they know about, you know, find, hit, get? Did you have to, like, tell them, hey, you better find someone, you better, you know, you better hit them before you get the ball? Uh, how much, how much, I guess refinement was needed for, for their rebounding to get where you wanted it to be.
0: Um, when they come in, it's it's a learning curve
1: for them for sure. Um, I think rebounding really is that way a lot. Yeah, re- <laughs> rebounding is just
0: it's tough. It's it's a will and a want to. You know, sure. the the person that wants a rebound is going to get a lot of rebounds. So it's a lot about effort, and we're always about effort and and doing as much as you can, working hard. Uh, our our kids work really, really hard in everything they do. So um, I think if you have that, you're halfway to a rebound. You know, if you have that 100%, I'm going to give effort. I'm going to, I send four to the glass on an offensive uh, rebound and five to the glass on the defensive rebound. You know, and if they're not, we tell them at practice. And, you know, sometimes there's running on the line. If, If you're not, if you're watching and not crashing, you're not doing the right thing. So, again, it's stuff that we work on on a daily basis. And
1: then my my last question with that, uh, really curious because of the league that you play in and how competitive it is. I know we've talked uh, primarily about things running the half-court defense, but how, how much press are, are, are you running? How much are, are you getting up full court on, on defense? How do you kind of balance that, especially with the league that you're in?
0: Yeah, it just depends on the opponent. Um, mm-hmm. We'll pick some... Teams up man-to-man, we'll, we'll extend a one, three, one sometimes and, and trap um, right after half court and in the corners. Um, you know, since they only have 10 seconds, I, I try to make everything uh, 75, you know, percent of the court or more. Mm-hmm. Um, there's other teams that, you know, will get up and pressure 100, you know, because our guards and our athletes are better. But um, for others, you know, I've mixed in a diamond press, you know, two, two, one at times. So, um, but with this group, we have a lot more size than I've ever had uh, here at Valley for nine years. And Mm. um, so we utilize that size and and put them, you know, hands up in, in space to, in the half court to make, make uh, steals and, and do a lot of good things that way. And then we race the other way.
1: Yeah. Always, always nice to be able to get that in the half court and then get that, get that rebound or, or get that steal and just get up and going and then go right into transition uh, for sure. Awesome. So coach uh, to wrap up, I give every uh, guest a couple questions. Uh, this first one, uh, what is a coaching moment from your coaching career that you think others listening would be able to learn from?
0: Um, just you know, when I came in, it was all about, you know, what are, what are my X's and O's going to be? What are, what are we going to do to, to, to win ball games? And I learned prior to taking the girl's job, but even more every year uh, in my nine years at Valley, it's all about relationships first. Um, you need to have just a quality relationship with each and every one of your players. Um, yep. show, them, show them that you care and that you love them, and they'll be willing to do anything for you. And, and that's what we've we've had found out, that, you know, our, our girls will do anything we want them and ask them to do because they know the coaches care about them. And um, so relationships are what everything is built on, and, and that's no different with coaching.
1: I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that uh, because this is such a uh... – X's and O's sort of conversation that we're having. So I'm glad that you did bring up the, fact, you know, relationships and the, uh, the buy-in especially because, you know, as a coach, we, any good coach cares about their, their players more as people and their development as people more than necessarily where they're going to go as basketball players. So yeah, the relationship part. um, Absolutely. I think that I, and I've said this to teachers, especially collegiate um, or teachers who are in college looking to uh, teach, I've told them that, you know, there's a big difference between liking your subject versus liking to teach kids your subject. I think it's kind of the same way of basketball, right? Where, like, we can love basketball and love the game, but we have to love the people that we coach as well. And it sounds like that's something that's really yeah. important for you as well. For sure. Okay. And then lastly, Coach, uh, this is uh, what I tell guest. It's called by 60 Seconds So Fox, where they get to get out any concluding thought, final message or last idea that they kind of want to leave the listeners with. So I'm going to go ahead and give you the floor, coach, to take it away. Uh, If it goes over 60 seconds, that's okay too. But go ahead, coach. Take it away.
0: (laughs) Well, I just I I thank you for having me. And and I I think we are in such a a rewarding profession, you know, Uh, and you may not see it each and every day, but you will when you look back on on the impact you've had on um, kids' lives and the and the players that that reach back out to you and that you stay in contact with that are either in college or off, you know, having families and you go to their weddings and I mean it's just it's it's such a, a an impactful, rewarding profession that. Um, you know, not every day is is rosy and and <laughs> perfect or anything, but that's that's part of what it's all about. And and I I don't know what else I would be doing, um, honestly. You know, I, I think about the money you could make doing a lot of other things, but when it gets down to it, that's not what life is about. Life is about the impact you make on on people's lives, and um, I, I hope that. You know, when I look back on my career, that um, that I still have those relationships with those kids, and 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 know that they know that I cared about them, and and um, learned something in our program that helped them be a better individual and a better person for their family. And uh, if we did that, you know, no matter the wins or losses, then it, it was all worth it. Awesome.
1: Really, really well said. Couldn't even add anything more to that. That was great. Uh, coach, I want to thank you for for spending some time talking about, you know, the matchup zone, talking about defense, talking about some more topics that we got into. Uh, it was a great conversation and, and I learned a lot. And uh, I think I'm also in a way grateful that I'm not in the same conference that you are sometimes because boy, you have your work cut out for you. So, Good luck going, going forward. Definitely good luck tomorrow. And and hopefully the season goes well and you're able to uh, finish everything the way you need it to be. So Coach Sagris, thanks for spending some time talking to us. Really appreciate
0: it. Thank you, Coach. And best of luck to you. And I hope you guys get back on the floor as soon as possible because uh, I can tell you're passionate about the game and, and want to be out there coaching your kids too. So thank you for having
1: me. Thanks a lot. And hopefully this time next year, nobody across the country is worrying about any of this and we're all just playing basketball as normal, Uh, as well as all of you listening, hopefully all of you listening or get to play basketball and coach basketball as normal as well. Thank you all for listening. This was another edition.
0: Thank you for listening to another edition of the Basketball Teacher Podcast. Make sure to connect with us on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter, or reach us directly through email at basketballteacherpodcast at gmail.com. Take care, be safe, and we'll see you next time.